0: Hey, Keeley. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Hurt It on the Sidelines. Heard It. Hurt it on the sideline with Shotgun
1: Spratling. Spratling. That intro was so good that I had to use it again, so thanks to Chris and Keeley once more. Welcome to another edition of the Hurt It on the Sidelines podcast with Shotgun Spratling, where we discuss what's going on at USC, but also try to pull back the curtain a little bit to give you an insider's perspective from the people around the USC athletic programs. The Heard It on the Sidelines podcast is a part of the Peristyle podcast family, and since we're still looking for an official sponsor, I want to take a second to recommend a local restaurant. Check out Spumoni in Sherman Oaks. This small, family-owned and operated Italian spot is one of my favorite in L.A., run by one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and they've got some damn good gnocchi. So good, I've never even had to change my order, though I have sampled other dishes, and I've never been disappointed. So if you're in the valley and you're looking for a good meal, stop by Spumoni in Sherman Oaks. On today's podcast, we're heading back to the hardwood to talk about USC basketball. The Trojans are now 15-3, and they moved into first place in the Pac-12. They're coming off a huge week where they went to Stanford and won in Maples Pavilion for the first time under Andy Enfield. He's now won in every arena in the Pac-12 thanks to wins at Stanford, at Arizona, and at Arizona State this season. The Trojans came home and blew out UCLA to take over the top spot in the conference standings. And the guy leading the charge against the Bruins was sophomore point guard Ethan Anderson, who will join us momentarily to talk about getting back in the groove and doing it in a rivalry game. Anderson also discusses USC's team chemistry, the key to the Trojans making a run in the NCAA tournament, and what he's learned from playing with a big man like Evan Mobley. But first, I want to start off with my two positives and a negative. And since we're talking USC basketball, the first positive has to be the big man, Evan Mobley, the number one player in your hearts, the number one player in the program, the number one guy who could be taken in the NBA draft next season. He's, he was named the Pac-12 Player of the Week and the Pac-12 Freshman of the Week this this week after averaging 16 points, 10 rebounds, and 3 blocks. He's just the second person to win both awards in the same week, joining Anyeka Okonwu, USC's big man last year who went in the first round. Now he's got the conference record for freshman of the year awards. I think he's got six now. I mean, the kid just continues to perform at an elite level every game, even when he's being double teamed, even when teams are are sagging down on him. He finds a way to get his teammates in the right spots. And USC is now plus 210, I believe, this season with him on the court. That means they're averaging plus almost 12 points per game when he's on the court versus when he's off the court. So he's doing it all for USC, and he continues to impress in just the variety of ways that he can impact a game from the center position. You know, not many guys out there like him. My second positive is looking over at the brackets. USC's name is popping up in a ton of brackets. He's popping up in all the brackets, but popping up higher and higher each week. They're now a number four seed in the latest projections by Joe Lenardi from ESPN and also Andy Katz. And they're number five in a couple other brackets as well. They have the number 16 net ranking. I believe they were up to number 12 earlier this week. Now, some of their opponents moved around a little bit, and that shifted them down a couple spots. They're second in the Pac 12 right now, right behind Colorado, the one team that has beat them in the Pac 12. So we'll see if they can get some redemption later in the season against the Buffaloes when they go to Colorado. But USC, they've been doing it with defense. They've been doing it with rebounding. They're winning by over 12 points per game. And it all starts with the big man in the middle, Evan Mobley, just like we talked about. He changes everything defensively for them, and he's you know snagging eight or nine rebounds a game as well. Now to my negative. I do want to point out that both USC's wins were against shorthanded teams last week. Stanford was playing without three starters, and that includes Zaire Williams, who's a potential top 10 pick in the next draft. That includes Dejon Davis, who's another NBA guy for them. But the Trojans took care of business. Give them credit for that. They held Oscar Da Silva, another NBA guy for the Cardinal, to way below his average, and he was in foul trouble the entire game. Then USC went to, against UCLA, and the Bruins were without their top two bigs. They didn't have Cody Riley, who was out with an ankle injury, and they didn't have Jalen Hill, who's out for personal reasons. The Bruins had a turn to a true freshman, Mack Etienne. Wasn't even supposed to be playing college ball this year, you know, but instead he came in, enrolled in January, and he played pretty well in his first action as a college player. They also had to use Kenneth Waba, a guy who'd only played 22 minutes, so they they changed some things defensively. They really sagged down in the paint and tried to slow down the Mobley brothers, but USC found a way to hit some shots outside, forced them to change up what they were doing, and they ended up winning the game by 18 points. And no, no one's going to be focusing on the players that were missing when they're looking at the USC's tournament resume in a month. But the Trojans need to realize that being in first place right now doesn't mean anything, and they need to keep improving. If they want to make something happen in the NCAA tournament, they've got to continue to make improvements, progress slowly each and every game, and that's whether teams are at full strength or not. They've got to shoot the ball a little bit better, but as long as they keep playing defense and rebounding, they're going to have a chance in pretty much every game. Now, USC's resume is still a little light on marquee wins. They're now 3-1 and one in Quad 1, two and 2-2 two in Quad 2. Those are changing pretty much every day because there's a couple of teams that USC has played. They're right on the bubble for whether those games are either Quad 1, Quad 2, Quad 3. Their resume's not bad, but it's nothing to make people suddenly take notice, which is why they're at number 20 right now despite a 15-3 and three record and why the Pac-12 only has one team ranked in the AP poll. So USC just has to keep taking care of business. But I did want to point out, against some shorthanded teams, so USC took care of business. But let's keep things in perspective just a little bit. And now we'll bring in the star of the UCLA game. Coming off the bench, Ethan Anderson scores a career-high 19 points, hits a career-high five three-pointers. Of course, my favorite is the the last one when you you stare down the pose at the end of it. Ethan, tell me man, welcome to the show and tell me what was it like to get back out there and you know show yourself in a rivalry game with a big win over UCLA.
0: Oh, it felt absolutely amazing for me to be able to get it back going, back to my usual self in terms of just being able to be involved throughout the game and just being able to make an impact, whether that be defensively and having to just be offensively that night. But, yeah, it felt absolutely amazing.
1: Doing it against UCLA, though, does that make it a little bit extra special?
0: Absolutely, especially because it was almost like a title match for the number one spot for us to tie it up. That was a really big game for us. We came in to that game with extreme focus and just really hoping to get that win. And just wanted to be solid and play our game. And um, when I came in there, I was just trying to be aggressive and just try to make plays for my teammates and for myself. And I was able to go my way.
1: What does it mean for you guys to be in first place in the Pac-12 to to earn that win? And now you and UCLA are tied at the top. You guys have the tiebreaker. You're a game and a half in front of the rest of the conference with nine conference games, so halfway through the the conference schedule. What does it mean to be in first place right now?
0: It means a lot right now, although we can't really focus on that too much because we used to have games to play and any any team in the Pac-12 can beat us any given night. But um, yeah, this feels amazing, especially me being from Los Angeles, uh, making an impact in my high school and now being able to make some type of impact here and get us <clears throat> into that number one spot. And we have a lot of amazing teammates and amazing coach staff that really deserve to have this number one spot. So I'm happy that we can all be recognized for our work.
1: What has it been like for you this season? I mean, you're expected to be, you're the captain of the team. You're expected to kind of lead the group from from the court as the point guard, but then you had this back injury, and you know you talked about it a little bit after the game on Saturday. But going through and getting different diagnoses, and not really knowing what was what was wrong with it, and trying to work your way back. What's this season been like for you? Uh, kind of take us through that journey of you know expecting to be the guy kind of leading the way, and instead, you know, not, right now. You're coming off the bench.
0: Oh uh, yeah, well it's definitely been tough. Me trying to adjust to like you said this new role since I've came back. seems a lot different. From the way I left it um, before I got injured, but um, I'm almost happy that I was that our, my teammates were able to really show themselves, show how good they are, and show different parts of their game while I was out. And I think it's, you know, it's it has made, made us a better team now that I am back. But uh, yeah, it's been really tough for me just trying to get back, adjust to get my rhythm back. And that UCLA game was huge for me because I was able to to really still prove that I'm that I'm still who I am and I'm still a leader on the court and I still can impact any game and I can compete with the best people in the country.
1: One of the things about you that's kind of interesting is when you get to a rivalry game, I mean, last year against UCLA, you had your then-career-high 14 points, and that had held up until this weekend. You put up 19, but even going back to your Fairfax days, you were always really big in rivalry games, and I thought it was interesting what you said kind of after the game about rivalry games, but kind of take us into your mentality as you're preparing for a rivalry game and just kind of how you try to attack them.
0: Well, yeah, the rivalry game, I think it starts... Well, I try to do this with every game, but rivalry games, it's just enhanced a lot more just because I just try to approach it as like a week before, just preparing for that game and really understanding that every possession is extremely important and that it's really just every single time, every single possession, every single time I step on the court against a rival, it's just the importance of the game. It goes up, especially when it's school like UCLA uh, my high school, when it's the two top teams going against each other, I just feel the need that it really gets me, gets me amped up. And I feel like us playing UCLA really accelerated my process of getting back to my groove because it really gave me uh, kind of a wake-up call for my body to remember that, okay, I can still play, I can still do everything I used to do. I am I am still as fast, I'm still as strong, I still jump as high, I can still score, I can still assist it. And I think that game really brought that out of me and it really forced me to to be who I worked all summer to be. So I'm really happy I was able to get it going in that game and the coaching staff and my teammates have been amazing throughout this process.
1: Where do you feel like your your season goes from this game? You know, how do you take what happened in that UCLA game and use it for the, you know, the stretch run here?
0: Well, absolutely. I've just been trying the last couple of days, just staying in that group. I know I'm probably not going to make five for seven from three every single game that I play from here on out. But just playing with that same confidence and that same poise and realizing that I can score the ball, I can defend it and I can definitely get my teammates involved, which I've been able to do pretty well. So just taking from that game, I'm just continuing to take the confidence from it. That's where I really want to get out of that mostly.
1: Yeah, definitely showed the confidence with that last three-pointer like we talked about, end of the shot clock. You said you hadn't really shot one of those like that since high school. Uh, what, what's been different about your three-point shot this year? I know that was something that you really worked on during the offseason and really didn't get to show it early in the season because you, know, you were shut down so early. So to, to be able to showcase that in a game you know, on such a stage, what did it mean to you, Kind of the work you had put in during the offseason to, to work on that specific aspect of your game?
0: Absolutely, it really meant a lot, and it really was good for my mental aspect because coming in those last few games, I was struggling. Well, I was shooting a good percentage, but I wasn't making the shots that I wanted to make, and I wasn't forcing the defense to guard me the way that they should be. So, really forcing UCLA to really get up on me, and hopefully, coming into these next games, teams start to respect me from the three point line. And I, like you said, I worked every single day that I could on my jump shot, and then just. Getting my basics down and really just realizing that me shooting the ball is the same thing I was in high school. So it's just confidence. Me shooting, if I shoot it and I stand there and I hold my follow through and I believe it's gonna go in, I'm living the results, miss or make because I know I get my reps up before and after practice. I know I've I've worked on it. So I think a huge part of a lot of people's jumper or, or this falling and not is just confidence and the reps that you get up. So. It was really, really nice to see my jumper fall like it does when I'm working out. And it's really just really uplifting to my spirits to really see that type of game again.
1: It's interesting that you bring up confidence because I felt like when you started rolling in that second half against UCLA, the entire confidence of the team just started to rise. You just felt it felt like people were attacking a little bit more, it felt like there was just a a different air around the team. And I don't know if there's anybody else on the team when they start going that, that have the same impact. Why do you think that you know when you start playing well, the, the rest of the team's confidence kind of rises?
0: Uh, well, I believe just being confident and unselfishness, that's, that stuff is all contagious on a team, especially mm-hmm. when you have the amount of talent that our team has. And uh, I Just me sitting on the bench, those games when I was out, watching Taz and Drew and Isaiah White, my fellow guards, Max, Noah, Watching them all grow so much and just show me how much they can play. Me being out there and getting hot that game, I feel like whenever one of us get hot, it really uplifts the rest of us to just be aggressive and also feed the hot hand. But it just gives it a spirit lift that we need.
1: Is this team different as far as the way you guys help each other and push each other and motivate each other because you know one of the guys that has struggled a little bit shooting is Noah Bauman just from his career percentages to where he's at this season and when he's shooting the ball you know when he a shot goes up from him the entire bench is rising up you know hoping it goes in and ready to celebrate you know him making one it it feels like the guys that may be in a little bit of funk you know Drew Peterson had struggled a little bit a couple games when they start get going to get going in a game that's when the bench really starts coming alive. It, it just feels like you guys are trying to to motivate each other so much coming off that bench. Is that is do you feel like that's different on this this team? And is that maybe even a, a part because of the pandemic and the way you guys have kind of been isolated from from everyone else that you kind of you know built that camaraderie even a little bit more?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, well in practice, I've never seen somebody make as many shots and as contested shots as North Downing. So. When he's shooting in the game, it's like sometimes in practice, I pass it to him, I don't even look, I turn around, I know what's going (laughs) in just because he's such a great shooter. Same with Drew Peterson. I've seen him knock down five, six, no one in practice. So it's really just the confidence that we all have in each other. And so in the game when we shoot it, it's just the same thought we think is going in. So everybody, like you said, is standing up on the bench. And I really do think that it's different about this team in terms of how we all want to see each other win. There's no... Inside hating on each other, and anything like that. We all want to see each other do well, and yeah, you know, players like Noah Bellman and Drew Peterson and Todd are shooters that are just always knocked down in practice. We just we believe in them, so when they shoot it in the game, it's the same type of attitude.
1: Well, the way you've been shooting in the game, I'm sure your teammates feel the same way about you when when you're putting up a three pointer now. But how important yes. is it for someone? You know, it doesn't matter who on each night, but for someone to get hot from the outside, just for someone to knock down a couple shots, how does that change things for the offense? With the fact that Evan Mobley is such a a dynamic weapon inside, when someone hits a couple shots, how does that change things for the offense overall?
0: Well, I feel like when whenever somebody is hot, it it really, like you said, with Evan in the paint, it really leaves the defense helpless because when Evan or Isaiah gets the ball in the paint, you, you have to help and. When you have like last night, me and Todd were able to get it going, and you really don't have a choice. So you either give it to Evan and you let him score, which is pretty sure like an eighty percent rate one on one, and or you give it to you can kick it out to us, and when we're rolling, it really makes the defense like they don't they can't they can't really stop us because it gives us so many weapons that we have when you have so many players that can get it going like that. I think that's always such a good team.
1: To you, what's the key to this team, you know, fulfilling its its potential and, and, you know, making a run in the NCAA tournament? What's what's the biggest key for you?
0: For me, our biggest key is just really staying focused and staying in that element of always having a chip on our shoulder and coming into each game attacking it as a UCLA rival game or something like that and just, just making sure that offensively, we, stay have, we have good movement and offensively though, we have good ball movement, player movement, and also just running our offense with pace. I think that's, we run our offense with pace and unselfishly, we've always come out with the win and as a point guard on this team, that's really a big focus of mine in practice and everything to really get us used to playing with our offense and pace, under control, also not turning it over, but just making sure everybody gets involved and continue to play unselfishly and I think as that is the key. Uh, I know our defense, we're going to bring that every night just because of our length and our toughness. So I'm not worried about our defense, but on offense, when we continue to be unselfish and just space the floor and properly give guys space to work, I feel like we're all going to be able to score the ball efficiently and we'll be really successful.
1: It always helps having a, you know, a top three NBA draft pick down in the middle that you can throw the ball to as well. What's it been like playing with Evan, You know, a, a superstar that is un, as unselfish as he is, is so rare in the game? I know you play with a ton of guys in AAU and pickup games and stuff. Is anyone compared to, to playing with Evan Mobley?
0: Uh, no, nobody that I've played with is quite compared to him just because of how skilled he is at that height. And, I mean, Big O was absolutely dominant. He just he dominated everybody he played against. So they're both extremely dominant. I've been blessed to be able to play with both of them players. But Evan Mobley, he's so skilled, and his his, his game is really unique. So I can't really compare him to too many different big men. He just – he relieves everybody on the court, and he gives me a lot of my points. Even last night, I pass the ball to him. I go to another spot. They double-team, and he finds me. So a lot of my buckets come from him, and I I like to get him some, some buckets also. So just playing off him makes my job, and I, I can speak for the rest of the team everybody else's job a lot easier.
1: And last one for you, just what have you learned from playing with him as a basketball player?
0: Um, playing with Evan, I just learned that me being the point guard doesn't always mean that I have to always have the ball in my hands in terms of the outlet when we get the rebound. I've learned to let Isaiah and Evan push the ball up, and it even creates more opportunities for me, more opportunities for them. So I've learned that we can play this game not so structural in terms of, okay, the point guard has to have it. But playing with Evan and Isaiah it really gives me the opportunity to see that big man can handle the ball too so that now I can go shoot the jumper I've been working on or I can I can attack the paint differently. Of a catch and shoot situation, so it really just helps me learn that I can help me learn to play more than just a point guard to play all all three guard spots when they're in there because it just opens up so much that we can do when you have big men with that much skill.
1: Thank you so much for the time, Ethan. I really appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to to seeing you now fully healthy and getting back out there and, and producing like you, you know we we're expecting this season.
0: And thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks so much to EA Sports, who is definitely in the game on Saturday night and in his bag. Speaking of bags, let's go to the mailbag once again. In our first Basketball Centric herd on the Sideline pod, I open it up to you guys to ask questions and want to do that again. So let's jump right into it. We got to start on the P with the VIP subscribers, obviously. So we'll go to David Law, who, David, you're packing your questions in here, but I'm okay with it. It's basketball. We don't get a bunch of basketball talk. I'll allow it this time. He said, one, jumping ahead a bit, what does next year's starting lineup look like? Well, that's going to be a big question mark because I think you're going to see a couple grad transfers come in once again. It depends on who stays because everyone gets the extra year eligibility. Do you see Isaiah White? Do you see Chavez Goodwin? Do you see Tajidi? Do they stay or do they go ahead and decide, hey, I want to start my professional career overseas or you know try to take that next step into the professional ranks? That's the big question mark. You're obviously going to be replacing Evan Mobley. Question mark on Isaiah Mobley. I still think he needs another year to work on his game and get a little bit better. Uh, but maybe you see him go ahead and jump with his brother at the same time, uh, and then you're looking at the guards. I think the guard play will be pretty solid next year, and I think you got a guy like Reese Waters. Can he make his way into the starting lineup? I think so. You think Ethan Anderson will be at the point, and then it'll kind of depend on, on you know who's staying from that that older group. I think Drew Peterson will be there with him as well. And then question marks. You know, you could have various guys. Max Akbunk Polo could be in there. Reese Waters could be in there. Depends on how they do that. And I think Joshua Morgan is going to end up being your starting center next year. He also asked, How do you like our chances, A, going down the stretch, tough final three games, B, in the Pac 12 tournament, and C, in the NCAA tournament? Again, a lot to unpack here. So. I like their chances going down the stretch. That's the big question. This team has to finish strong. They haven't done it traditionally under Andy Enfield. They've struggled in the last 6 to 8 to 10 games of the conference. You know, they've had you know under 500 records or 500 records at best in the last four or five years, so they need to finish strong. And it starts this week, actually. I think it's a really big week. You need to go to Washington. Just take care of business at Washington and Washington State. Don't let one of those teams be in the game late. Don't let it be an Oregon State type of situation where you lose by two points you got to go take care of business because these are big resume deflators both of these games can really kill your net ranking and drop you down a little bit and that takes you from a four seed to suddenly you become a five or a six or a seven seed now you're worrying about facing you know one of those top seeds in the bracket a lot sooner whereas if you take care of business and they play well down the stretch usc has a chance to play their way up even further than a four or five seed where they're at right now where are they at in the Pac 12 tournament? How do you like your chances? I think the USC has a great chance in the Pac-12 tournament. It just depends on if their shooters make shots. It all comes down to that. And when you play potentially three days in a row, you know, it's going to be about the legs and who can make some outside shots. They've got the big man in the middle. Evan Mobley's gonna, you know, gonna be solid every night. Teams are gonna try to force USC to make some shots. And as long as one person steps up, they'll be good. And in the NCAA tournament, I think it's the same. You know, you've got a great opportunity with the defense that they play and the way they rebound the ball. To be in every single game. Now, if you make a couple shots and you hit your free throws down the stretch, then you can beat pretty much anybody in this tournament, maybe outside Gonzaga and Baylor, those two teams. I don't know if anyone's going to match up with them. But USC could definitely put together a run. Andy Infield obviously knows how to do that from his Florida Gulf Coast days. So we'll see what they can do, but it comes down to someone stepping up and making a couple shots from the outside just to open up that defense. You saw UCLA just cram everybody down the lane. You know They weren't going to let the Mobley brothers beat them. But then when Ethan Anderson hits a couple shots, Tajidi hits a couple shots at the end of the first half. Then UCLA had to switch back to their man defense, and they had to change things up, and that opened up the middle a little bit. That opened up some driving lanes as well for USC, so we'll see where they go from there. SCP 5 asks, who do you compare emobly to? And then also I got a message on Twitter Um, from from Jim Changa, who said, I've seen a number of NBA comps for Evan Mobley. Some say Durant or Giannis. Although I don't see much Durant, who would your NBA comp be, ceiling and floor? And that makes that question a lot more interesting. I think the NBA comp ceiling is... A Anthony Davis type, a guy that can step out, shoot that outside shot, but also dominate in the paint when you need to. You know, and, and Evan Mobley is gonna have to build his strength up, and it's gonna be, you know, the shoulders that, that Anthony Davis has, but also you know, creating that leg strength and whatnot, so he can just stand his ground down the lane against some of those bigs in the NBA. But I think what he does on the outside is go- gonna be what's so unique about him, and I think that's what's unique about Anthony Davis, that he can handle the ball on the outside. He can be the guy to bring it up. Evan Mobley has all those traits. He was a former guard in high school before he hit his growth spurt. So I think that he's got an opportunity. That's going to be his ceiling. Being an all-NBA-type player like Anthony Davis is, Potential Hall of Famer, question mark there. That's what we heard last time from, that we had a basketball podcast from Chris Capco, the assistant coach. He said he's got Hall of Fame potential. That's a lot of, of stuff to be thrown out there. But, hey, I think Evan Mobley does have that talent. He's, he puts in the work, and now we'll just see as his body develops if he can continue. If he can stay healthy, for one, that's always a big thing. But if he continues continue to develop his game, and that's what you're seeing. He's continuing to show you different things each game, which is what is very interesting about him. The floor for Evan Mobley, that's a much inter- much more difficult question for me. I think that he's super skilled, and he'll be in the league for six to eight years minimum just because he has all the potential and because he's such an unselfish player. So even if he becomes a guy that... You know, he just learns to shoot the three really well, and he stands in the corner. He can be a seven-footer that stands in the corner and knocks down shots. So that's the floor for him, a guy that's going to be in the NBA for you know several years, if not a decade, because he can knock down shots and because he plays defense and can protect the rim. So that's the floor on that guy. That's pretty impressive. 31 Trojans asks, is there going to be a Pac-12 tournament? If so, how does it look for USC? Hey, look, the, the Pac-12 tournament is still – Kind of a question mark. They've said that it's going to happen, but they haven't put out a bracket. Arizona's not going to be in the tournament, so how does that affect the bracket? Is it going to be an 11-team tournament? Does everyone participate? Does anyone back out? There's been a lot of discussion in other conferences about, hey, does everyone need to travel and and participate? Or does it need to be the top four teams, the top eight teams? How's that going to play out? The Pac-12 has not announced anything. Now, if it's an 11 team tournament, USC is going to get a bye and they'll play a 6-11 matchup. I, I, you know, they the 6 team could be a team that's dangerous, but you know, USC should be able to take care of business. It's going to be that second game. How do they play on the back-to-back? Are they able to, you know, are they able to make those shots on the back-to-back? And that's will be the difference in whether or not they make it to the championship round. I think it, they can easily make it to the championship in this in this conference this season. There's no dominant team. USC's maybe the closest thing and that's mainly because they're they have Evan Mobley in the middle. Stanford, when they get everyone back, if they can put it together and start making better shot selection, then I think they're they're in contention there as a team that can make a run as well. Love the Colorado, you know, what their older players can do there. Those are your big teams. Oregon's a big question mark still for me because they have a lot of talent. But they've always had guys missing this season, so you know, depending on where they're at as the season as the season goes down the stretch, and if they get everybody ready for the conference tournament, they could be a team that could be in it as well. UCLA, they've been playing great. Uh, you know, if they get Cody Riley back, that changes their their offensive alignment and stuff as well. So a lot of teams have a genuine opportunity to to compete in the Pac-12 tournament this year. And like I said, still just kind of unknowns. They know it's going to be in Vegas, and they know it's going to happen. But you know, how many teams? Who all goes, those things are still to be determined. King of LA asks Can you tell us more about how Josh Morgan and Resticks and Waters are working with the team this year? I'm sort of surprised Morgan hasn't gotten any run as a backup rim protector, but I think I've read somewhere their injuries at play. Now, I haven't heard anything necessarily about injuries, and unfortunately, because we don't get to go to practice because of the pandemic, those are the type of things where you check in on people, you see them after practice, see how things are going. Just not necessarily being able to do that as much this season. Uh, Josh Morgan, you know, when he got in, the couple times he got in, he looked like a true freshman. Now, he's not a true freshman, but that's what he looked like. He was a little bit shaky getting in there. Maybe it was just a little bit of nerves. But there, you've seen that Evan Mobley is just getting more and more minutes as the season has progressed. Now, is that a concern going down the stretch? That could be. You know, you're playing him up over 36 minutes some games. Uh, so, you know, how do they give him breathers? That's going to be kind of important for him. You know, he's not getting in a lot of foul trouble or anything, but if they need to, Josh Morgan's a guy I could turn to just to play defense and be in there. He looks fine on the defensive end, but offensively, he's had, had a couple balls go off his hands and stuff. Ree Waters, again, he's a guy that is playing catch up the entire way because he missed the summer camp, he missed fall camp, he's not been with the team. You know, up until January, and then they have an immediate layoff because of the COVID positive test. So he's just trying to work his way in. He's got to learn all the plays, learn all the out of bounds and the sideline plays, the defenses, all those things. And you know, if he continues to progress, we saw what he can do when he gets in there. Maybe he's a guy that you just inject to be a you know a shot of energy if something's not going well early in a game. Maybe that's something you see down the stretch run if he continues to progress. You know, in practice and stuff, which we don't haven't really heard much about to say. That he's he's going to be there, and then King of LA also said the last podcast mentioned not only knowing that the the better SC dunker since I've attended you know USC, uh, and he said look up the highlights of Lorenzo Or and Jeff Trepanier, you must see TV stuff. Trepanier is the guy that I was trying that I was thinking of, and I was seeing his highlights in my head, but I couldn't think of his name off the top. Uh, so he's a guy that would definitely be in there. He's probably in the final as well with Harold Miner, but Harold Miner is the guy that's still going to take that one. Fighter USC S. is this the greatest USC basketball team of all time? Is Evan Mobley the greatest USC basketball player of all time? Let's go to the second one first. Evan Mobley, I think, has the potential to be the most talented USC player of all time. But greatness is something I feel like you accumulate. And because he's only going to be at USC for one year, I think it's going to be very hard for him to be in that conversation. He's going to have to take him to the national championship, win MOP, do all that type of stuff to be in that conversation. As far as the greatest USC basketball player of all time, I think you've got to go back to someone like Bill Sharman. I mean, the guy was fantastic at USC – He then goes to the NBA, played 11 years in the NBA, was an eight-time All-Star, four times All-NBA. He's a Hall of Fame player. He ended up being a Hall of Fame coach as well. As his number retired by USC, as his number retired by the Boston Celtics, he's in the Hall of Fame. I think that's the guy you got to look to there. A couple other candidates maybe, maybe like Paul Westwall. I mean, he averaged over 20 points, I think, five straight years. DeMar DeRozan is over 20 points. I think he's almost in his ninth year. I think this will be his ninth year if he does it. So, you know, when his career finishes, you got to look at him and the numbers he's he's put up overall in the NBA to, to be in consideration there. But again, only one year at USC, so that makes it hard to be the greatest USC basketball player. Now, to this team, is this the greatest USC basketball team of all time? I think you're way too premature there. This team is only ranked number 20 right now. They've got to make it up in the top 10 before you even start having that conversation. They're, they're still a long ways away from, from getting in that conversation. So let's see what they do this week, going on the road, playing the Washington State and Washington teams that they need to take care of business. These are the type of trap games that sometimes have come up and bit USC in the past. So let's, let's let them take care of this business first before we get to talking about that. Big Nick 21 asks, who is going to replace the Mobleys, assuming that Isaiah leaves too? Who is a big-time recruit we can get? And how has the recent success of winning affected the recruiting for USC men's basketball? First off, who's going to replace the Mobleys in the starting lineup? We'll start with Joshua Morgan, like we talked about a little bit. I think he's the guy that's going to come in and be the defensive guy. Now, how quickly does Bubakar Koulibaly come in and develop and progress in, in his career? That's a question that I think he could become a guy that makes an impact by year two and becomes a star player by year three or four with the athleticism he has. Now, he's got a long way to go. He's He's really raw. You know when he was coming into USC, and we have we've only seen him for touches so far this season, but he's looked good as a you know a true freshman that's getting an extra year of eligibility. I think he has an opportunity to be a guy for them down the road. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. You know he's a guy that I think can take jumps in his game, similar to the way Chemezi Metu went from you know I, I think he's a year behind, but the. Maybe next year he makes that jump that, you know, he's at where Chemezi was as a freshman. And he takes that jump the second year for Chemezi, that would be the third year for Koulibaly. Interesting to see. I think those two guys have a little bit of similarities as far as where their game can progress, uh, just with the athleticism that both of them had playing that forward position. And then a big time recruit they can get is going to be a grad transfer. You know, it's going to be who can they go out and get. And definitely, I think the success and the way they've shown. On that in that grad transfer recruiting, hey, they can go and say, hey, look what Isaiah White has done, going from Utah Valley to now being a starter for us. Look at how we're using Chavez Goodwin coming in, and he's going to be a part of a potential a championship team once again, conference championship team. And then you look at you know Drew Peterson or Tajidi. Look at the way we're using Edie. Look at the way he's come in and been our scorer for. You can talk all those things up as far as the way they've recruited their grad transfers in the past, and I think that's where they're going to get a big time recruit. I don't think they're going to steal anyone. Big in this 2021 class uh, to add to to the class. It's going to be a big time guy to come in and start down low for them. So I think in, in the front court, I think you're looking at a grad transfer to be the guy that can contribute first. Troy area asks: Kobe Johnson is good, but do you see the Trojans going for a point guard are they content with Kobe to be the combo guard? I think that that Kobe Johnson is more of a combo guard. How is USC going to recruit around Taj Eadie is a question to me. Do they expect Edie to be back? If so, then you don't necessarily need the point guard in this class, but you're definitely going to want to try to get a guy like Dylan Andrews, the kid from Windward in the 2022 class. You know, He's a guy that I think is, is very high on their list and, and someone that I think they should be going heavily after. Uh, so Kobe Johnson, he can come in and be a combo guy, be an off guy, and if you, know, if you need him to take care of the ball, uh, I think he can be that guy. I think he can be like a Jonah Matthews later in his career, how he was able to handle the ball. And and settle things down for USC. I think eventually Kobe Johnson has that, but you want him to be a guy on the wing that can score for you first. Jumping over to Twitter, Cam asks, Why do you think USC basketball gets no respect? I feel like each season they have a good enough record to be ranked, but rarely are. They finally just got ranked with three losses, and their teams with six losses ranked. Maybe strength of a schedule is a big factor? Yes, definitely strength of a, strength of a schedule is a big factor in this. I mean, if you look at some of the teams in like the Big 12, they have, I think, six or seven teams ranked, and those teams are playing top 10, top 15 teams like every other game because of how many teams are ranked and how good that conference is this season. I mean, look at Oklahoma State. It just moved into the rankings, and they're a team that has the other top player in the country, other top draft pick in the country, Cade Cunningham, and they've got a lot of talent on that team as well, and they're just now getting ranked as well. So they've got some losses. So I think it's the, the strength of schedule is definitely a big factor. The Pac-12 in general as as a conference just didn't have many wow wins in the non-conference season. Now obviously it was cut short, but they the opportunities they had they didn't take advantage of. The one big one was you saw Stanford beat Alabama. That was a big one because Alabama's leading the SEC, but then Stanford turned around and they lose to North Carolina, who we who now we see is not that good of a team. You know, Arizona State, there was a lot of big expectations for them. They've really, really struggled this season. Oregon, same thing. They've lost some games that that could have been marquee wins early in the year, didn't happen. And then you have teams like Washington go and just lose by thirty points to teams. So the Pac-12 doesn't get a lot of respect in general, and that rubs off on USC in a season like this. So you need some you need some marquee wins from the other teams in the conference so that people respect the conference as a whole. So then when you're beating the conference. Then it looks much better on your resume. And with only one team ranked, I think one or two weeks so far this season, has there been multiple Pac 12 teams in the top 25? That was UCLA and Oregon together at one point. Arizona State, I think, in Oregon early in the season uh, until Arizona State just has fallen off. Um, so there's a lot of talent, and I thought there would be a lot, you know, the basketball would be really good this season. But it's just been so inconsistent, and a big part of that is the pandemic and you know teams out here not getting to practice as much as some teams across the country were able to in different times. So I think that all plays into it. But the one thing you can do is you go out and prove it on the court. If USC goes out and continues to win, they'll get more and more respect each and every win that they take on. Todd Buckingham asked about Joshua Morgan's long-term potential, and we talked a little bit about him already, so I don't want to go too deep into it, but I think he's a guy that can be that rim protector first on the defensive end and then as his game continues to progress, if he can develop an offensive game like Chavez Goodwin, put those baby hooks in there and just attack the glass, that's what you want out of him. Now, can he do that? That's going to be up to him and how much he works in the offseason. But if he can just wants to be a junkyard dog type and go up and just grab rebounds, offensive boards, attack everything, that's what you're kind of looking for out of a guy like that and just protect the rim on the defensive end. That's all we need you to do. Hey, beat the big guy in the middle. If they bring it in here, swat it away. That's what they want from, from a guy like that. And he's got good potential – he knows how to block shots. He has a good uh, capability of that. So um, that's, that's his long-term potential, and it's just on him to add some strength to his body. That's an, uh, he's another guy that's got to add some strength, but to, to be able to bang down there with the Evan Batties of the conference and whatnot. So it, it's up to him to put on that weight and, and to be able to, to continue to progress his offensive game. Jonathan asks, what result regular season and tournament would need to happen for the coaching staff to consider this season a success? I mean, first off, if you make it through the rest of the year with no COVID issues, that's that's a partial success at least. You know, it's just been so difficult for so many different teams and this this group in particular, just the fact that they had a start on the tennis courts and just doing some shooting drills outside with the coaches wearing baseball gloves and whatnot. So th- that'll be a mini success for them. Now they're on the court success. I think if you finish top two in the Pac-12, you consider that a success. Now you're in the at the top right now. You're one and a half games ahead of everyone except for UCLA, who you were tied with, but have the tiebreaker. So you have a great opportunity, but you got to finish strong. You know, once they get in the NCAA tournament, I think that they need to make it to the second weekend. They are fully capable this year, and you have to take advantage of having Evan Mobley since he's not going to be here. He's a once in a generation type of talent. You got to take advantage of a seven footer footer who can dribble the ball on the wing, who's unselfish, passes the ball to his teammates, does a little bit of everything. I think he's a guy that you know they've got to be able to ride him in the NCAA tournament. And if they are put out in the first two rounds, I think that's going to be a, a, a letdown for sure. T Mac asked if you were Andy Enfield for the rest of the season, who's your starting five and why and who would be your first two off the bench? I think, let's start off the bench. I think the easy one is Chavez Goodwin. He's going to be your backup big the entire time. Uh, and, and then you're going to have two guys because Max Agbut Polo is a guy you got to get minutes for. You're continuing to develop him and he's developing defensively in particular. And then it's going to come down to do you want to start Ethan Anderson or not? That's what it comes down to. He's getting his game back. He's getting back in the groove. Does he get back in the starting lineup? And if he does, do you want to move Isaiah White back to the bench where he started the season when Anderson was healthy? Or do you want to move Drew Peterson? Because I think Tajidi has earned his right to stay up there. He continues to be a solid scorer for you you can do anything you want with those three guys. You know, you can you can mix and match depending on matchups if you really want. And then I think once you get in gameplay, you're gonna you're gonna mix and match based on, you know, how the game is flowing and what you kind of need from those positions. And you gotta work in Noah Bauman. And if you can get him hitting some outside shots, then this team becomes very dangerous. So I think there's some options there. I don't think that there's anything strict, you know. I'm not forcing Ethan Anderson back in, you know if he kind of takes to this role of coming off the bench then hey roll with it until you know something's not working and you need to change some things up but right now things are working for him he came ethan came off the bench and was spectacular against ucla we'll see if he continues to build on that and you know asked Andy about it you know when, when anderson first came back said with ethan back how you kind of figure out that guard rotation now and he said hey whoever's playing the best that night is going to get the minutes down the stretch so that's what it's going to come down to Scott asked whether Andy Enfield trusts Chavez Goodwin or Isaiah Mobley more. I think this one's pretty simple. You see who's in at the end of the games, and it's Isaiah Mobley. Um, Now, who does he trust more at the free throw line? That's a better question because both those guys have struggled. Chavez Goodwin, give him a lot of credit. I think he went 4 for 4 last game. And if you can get those guys to bring up their averages just a little bit, it's going to alleviate some of those free throw woes that USC has had because big men are going to get fouled, obviously. So you know Isaiah Mobley in particular, because he's a guy that's attacking the rim and doing some different things off the dribble, he's going to get fouled. He needs to be able to knock down those freebies. And then you know if he hits one or two free throws a game, he's going to be up over. You know he's going to be in double digits. He's going to be scoring for USC pretty consistently in double digits. Right now he's only averaging nine point two points. He should be. um, up, you know, flirting with a double double. He's got the potential. He's got the capability of it, and he does a really good job on the offensive boards. He's got 48 offensive boards so far through 18 games. So you know, they just need to, he needs to continue to work, and you know, he's got to gain his confidence. It's a big thing. You know, he, it's in his head right now. That's pretty obvious. He's shooting 45 percent from the free throw line. He's got to knock down a few more of those. Hey, at 18, if he has one more make per game. You know, USC maybe is in a different spot right now. Maybe they're one less loss either in that Oregon State game or uh, even the the UConn game as someone to help step up and help out Evan Mobley in that one. Thanks so much for the questions, guys. Really appreciate you guys contributing and, and participating in the in the Hurdle on the Sidelines podcast. To close out this week's episode, I had a great closer lined up, but unlike his game winner against the Bruins last year, we weren't able to connect with former Trojan Jonah Matthews. That's all right. We're going to try to link up and get him on for a future episode, though. But I do want to take you guys back to that game and what proved to be the final play of the season and the final play of Jonah's USC career, as unfortunately the season was shut down a few days later. Here's Keeley. You're talking to Jonah shortly after he banged home, the last-second game winner at the Galen Center. Have you processed what happened yet?
0: Uh, Not really. I just – I know I made it, but after after I made it, I was just like, wow. I really made that shot, like – my last game in Galen ever like you only dream of something like that and it happened to go in I'm super grateful that happened.
1: Take us through that play what did you see what did it infield call?
0: Uh, he just called an iso for me um we, we won a 1-5 ball screen so it was switched I knew Jalen Hill couldn't stick on me so I got him going and then stepped back and now just muscle memory took over I practiced that shot multiple times here by myself and dreamed of it going in and happened to go in so it just I'm happy he put the ball in my hands I was happy to be able to make it.
1: Just wanted to take you guys down memory lane and give you USC fans something to smile about as you head into the rest of your day. That's about going to wrap it up for this edition of the Hurt It on the Sidelines podcast with Shotgun Spratling, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. Thanks again to Ethan Anderson for joining us and for everyone who submitted questions. Make sure you guys check out Spamoni Restaurant in Sherman Oaks the next time you're in the Valley, and make sure you come back and join us for the next episode. Peace out, guys.